Um, today we're going to be talking about Nehemiah and continuing on in the story of the Jewish people when they returned from exile in Babylon. And God is still faithful and he, and he still keeps his promises even though the people aren't necessarily faithful. But he does call on individuals to follow what he wants them to do and, and God will provide and we'll see that in our Bible lesson today. And you may have experienced something like Nehemiah did. So Nehemiah was Jewish. He was in the Persian Empire. He actually, God had given him a, a position that gave him influence over the king. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. So who, who knows what a cupbearer was or did? Yes. So that, that was the chief job. And so do you think the king trusted Nehemiah? More than likely, because, um, I mean, if, if you could probably figure out a way to switch cups or do something if you really wanted to have the king done away with. So someone who was um, in a position of authority that the king trusted, and because that was his job, he also had a pretty good life. He didn't ever have to worry about, um, you know, he had a nice place to stay, I'm sure. He was paid well, had good food, was protected, um, had a pretty good life, but... God brings to light some information to Nehemiah that really weighs on his heart, and it starts another process of God using someone for purposes so that his plan is carried out. And that's, that's what we'll see, how God does this, and God provisions Nehemiah and takes care of Nehemiah and gives him everything he needs to do what God wants him to do. It's just up to Nehemiah to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives him to serve God in the way that, that God has designed. So we're in Nehemiah. It comes after the book of Ezra. And Nehemiah actually at one time was called Ezra, the, the second book of Ezra, Ezra 2. Um, they're very much tied together along with the story of Esther. When the Christian Bible was written back in the third century, they actually split Nehemiah off from Ezra. But these times overlap. Um, so they are connected. It's still this time. Um, Artaxerxes is the king. That's who Nehemiah is the cupbearer for. Um, and like I said, Artaxerxes was a Medo-Persian ruler, um, ruled a, a large part of the earth at that time, was probably the most powerful king, um, was still in charge. Um, you know, the Jews had already been sent back. So remember we talked at one point that Zerubbabel and Jeshua went back to Jerusalem. And King Cyrus initially had them go back through God's plan, and they started working, but there was opposition, and then they were told to stop. And the bottom line is that the temple's still not built, and it's not been taken care of for a lot, lot of reasons. But God still has promised his people this would happen. And so we're going to read in Nehemiah. I'm going to read in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 to start off with. And as, as we read through this book, I had to keep reminding myself that it, it's, this book is, a lot of it comes from journals and, and the writings of Nehemiah. So it's, some of it's, a lot of it's written in Nehemiah first person. So when it starts out, you know, when, when it talks about I, it's Nehemiah who's talking. So it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived captivity about, and about Jerusalem. 
They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah gets this report from his brother and some other men who were in Judah and came back. And so you have to think about this. It's, I think it's a thousand miles from Susa to Jerusalem. It's a long distance, so it's not like it's somewhere close. So they don't get a lot of news about what's going on. And so Nehemiah was anxious because all of the Jewish people know that you know, God had told them that it would be a 70-year exile period and that they would go back. And so they're all anticipating going back. But it's taking a long time. And so now Nehemiah hears that things are not going well. And we'll see what Nehemiah's response is to that. I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you, you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So when we see this, what, what does this tell you about Nehemiah when he hears this bad news? What, what's Nehemiah's reaction? He is distraught, and he's, he's upset. And so what, what does he do as his first step to try to make things better? He prays. He prays to God and goes to God. And, you know, it's, <clears throat> this prayer that Nehemiah has is, is a good lesson for us, I think, in how to pray. So in, when you look at those verses that I read... What, what is Nehemiah's prayer made of? What does he pray to God? Does he just pray to God and say, God, save us? What, what does Nehemiah pray? What are some elements that you see? He's praying God's promises. And, and it's not that God doesn't forget his promises, but a lot of times we do, or we think, you know, we, we have that, that misunderstanding of, well, God's plan is going to come true no matter if I do anything or not, so I don't have to do anything and God's plan comes true. But... We all need to play our part, and if we don't, sometimes there are consequences, but it, it does. He's, he is, in a way, as he's praying, Nehemiah is really reminding himself of what God's promises are. So he doesn't have to remind God. God has a perfect memory. But us understand what God's plan is, and as we review that, it gives us, hopefully, that encouragement that does keep his promises. What else does Nehemiah talk about? He does. So, so Nehemiah, he, he addresses God. He addresses him in a proper way and reminds himself of God's attributes, of why we should have confidence that God's plan will come true, why we should have confidence in what God will do. And that's a, that's a very important part that Sam brought up. Nehemiah spends quite a few verses in here admitting that he and his people are sinners and that they have not 
kept God's commandments and they haven't been obedient to God. And, and, and Nehemiah doesn't just pray those people in Jerusalem who aren't behaving. He includes himself and his family. Nehemiah is very honest with God in admitting that he and his family and his people are sinners and they have been sinners and they recognize that. But they also understand and recognize in here, I think we get from Nehemiah's prayer, is Nehemiah trusts God to forgive their sins and forgive our shortcomings and he will continue to have his plan go forward. Um, I just, again, think it's, it's a really good reminder for us to look at what prayer is. And really, when we pray, why, why do we pray? Are, are, we, are we praying to change God's mind about something? Is To connect with him. Definitely to connect with him. If we don't pray, we don't have that relationship. It's just like, and, and you may have, you know, have friends that maybe somebody you went to high school with and you don't live, with, you don't live where you went to high school, but you have continued to communicate with, with that friend and you talk to them and maybe you go on visits to go see them. And then there probably are other people that you went to high school with that you haven't talked to since graduation that if you had to go sit down and talk with them, it would be very hard, wouldn't it? It's that same relationship with God. Yes, and that's, that's very true. That if, I mean, if we are praying to God, really we are acknowledging that God exists and that there's that relationship is he's God the Father. He is, you know, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He's the one who spoke, every, you know, everything into existence. We're acknowledging his power and our lack of ability to save ourselves, to behave in a right way all of the time, that we always need God. But I think the second thing Beth said is, is an important part of that is we don't pray to God to get the things that we want. We pray to God to maintain that relationship so that the more we pray, the more we should become aligned with what God's will is for us. That's in, in all these things that Nehemiah is praying. He's praying, you know, he's honoring who God is. He's God made. All of these things are things that are helping Nehemiah and will help us if we pray in a proper way. Understand who we are and who God is and that we need to change our lives and our behavior and our attitudes and our actions to be in line with the will of God. God's plan is God's plan and it's perfect and it will work out in the way he wants it to work out. We as believers need to try our best to be in God's will. If we don't pray on a regular basis, if we don't study his word, if we don't fellowship and do the things he's called us to do, we are not going to be very good at being in God's will. And so I think it's an important thing that we, we remember when we pray. It's that relational part, and it's to help us really get to that point where we understand what God's will is, and we're bold enough and courageous enough and have enough faith that God will provide for us when we have to go do that difficult thing that we can take care of that. Andy, yes. And I, I know, um, I don't know specifically the scripture, but that's a very good point, Randall. I appreciate you bringing that up. Because that is, I think, we, we're not changing God to do what we want. We're changing us to do what God wants us to do and what God needs us to do. And so that, those are good reminders of that. Um, 
So I'm going to finish up with um, verse 11 here in chapter 1. So Nehemiah concludes his prayer saying, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. So when, when we, you know, when you read the conclusion of his prayer, I think really Nehemiah is, is asking God to give him the opportunity to act in the way that God needs him to act. He's really ineffectually saying, God, help me know what your will is so I can be in your will. And, and God does this for Nehemiah. Um, God does provide. So Nehemiah now knows of this situation, that he knows he has to do something to take care of it, but he doesn't quite know what he should do. So we're going to continue on in Nehemiah 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. No, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face be sad? Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So an interesting turn of events here. So when... When Nehemiah found out about the sad state of Jerusalem, um, it was in the, the month of Chislev, which is about, um, it's like our, about our November, December time for our calendar. But when this is all happening was the month of Nisan, which is more like March, April. So there's about a four-month time lag here. Um, and the Bible doesn't tell us why, but... Um, some theologians think it may be that Artaxerxes was gone and wasn't available for Nehemiah to approach him. Um, another thought is that Artaxerxes was the king who, because we know that the temple hasn't been rebuilt, at one point in there, it was Artaxerxes who, who commanded that the building stop. Um, and we had talked about um, in one of the prior lessons where um, the faithful in Jerusalem you know, 
had the king go back and look, it was between Cyrus and King Darius when Darius wanted it to start again. Um, so it's not, we're not quite sure, but it was four months in there. And so think about Nehemiah. What do you think he was thinking when he's trying to figure out what God wants him to do? Do you think it weighed heavily on him? It must have, because what does the king tell him in verse 2? Yeah, why are you so sad? You're not physically ill. It must be that your heart is sick. You know, there must be something that's really troubling you. And, and how did that make Nehemiah feel? Exactly. He didn't, want, he didn't want the king to know. He's trying to figure out what should I do. But God has set this up where now the king knows and the king's asked him. And once the king has asked you a question, you can't say, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> you, you have to. But um, Nehemiah, very wisely and obedient to God's plan, is bold and speaks out in faith. And he tells the king, there is something troubling me. Why shouldn't I be sad when, when the land of my ancestors, you know, where, where the of my father are it's in terrible a terrible state you know the walls are still broken the gates are burned it's not very good this is what's making me sad and so then the king says well what do you want to do about it and so here's this opportunity that Nehemiah has and before Nehemiah talks what does it say he did pray to the God of heaven because Nehemiah understands God has given him this time God has set this up God made him the cupbearer. God let him know what was going on in Jerusalem and that his, his people needed help. And now he has this opportunity. Um, but like Verinius said, you just don't go ask the king for whatever you want. But Nehemiah understands, I think, that God has set this up for him. And so he prays quickly to God that God will give him the words to say. And so what does Nehemiah ask for? He does. And, and he doesn't just say, can I go and, will you let me go and rebuild the city, help do that? He asks for everything that he's going to need. And so he doesn't ask for more than he needs, but he certainly asks for what he needs. Part of this, I think, is Nehemiah understands what he needs. Part of this, I think, is God has helped Nehemiah know what to ask that the king will be willing to give. And so he gets... Um, assurances of safe passage he gets letters for because it's, it's like a thousand miles away so he has to go through a lot of kingdoms that the that the persians have conquered before he can get back to judah and jerusalem and so he asks for letters of safe passage and then he asks for a letter from the king to go to the forester who has all the trees so he his people can cut down because the king owns everything you can't do anything without the king's permission um it wasn't the national fort well we even have to get permits i guess for national forests so <laughs> But everything belonged to the king, and so you had to have the king's permission. And so Nehemiah has the foresight, and I think God has helped him with this, ask, and the king grants it. And so I think it just, you know, is a good example for us that when we know we have something that we need to do, when God presents us that opportunity, we need to be bold, and we need to be willing to go and do those things that God has called us to do with the faith and understanding that God will provide for us in that time. And it may be clear what it is that we need to do. It may not be, but we know God will not challenge us any more than we're capable of doing. He doesn't give us a, a burden that we can't bear. God 
doesn't do that to us. He always provides what we need. Maybe not what we want, but he provides us with what we need. I think a good um, scripture that, that helps us understand this is in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 20, about what it is that we need to be bold and pray for. That's Matthew 10, verses 16 to 20. And this was when Jesus is sending out the apostles. And he's telling them, and this is one of those things, I think, when we talk about prayer, um, God will put us in a situation. And God put Nehemiah in this situation. And God's going to put each of us in situations. And we may not be able to choose the right words but God will choose the right words for us and God through the Holy Spirit will give us the words to say and so this is advice that Jesus is giving the apostles as he's getting ready to send them out so Matthew 10 starting in verse 16 behold I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves but beware of men for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour that you are, what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And we need to remember that, and that it was true for Nehemiah, and it's true for us. When God's put us in a situation and he asks us to act on his behalf as believers God through the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say and the actions to take to make God's plan happen and so it's part of that's having that trust and that faith and having that good relationship We do. It's like James tells us, we need to be doers of the word and not hearers of the word. And Brian brings up a great point that God can use each and every one of us. And in this case, Nehemiah wasn't, he wasn't trained in this way. And, and it's a good segue to the next part we're going to talk about. But now he has to go and, you know, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He had never led a large group of people. He's not a builder or a stonemason or a carpenter. You know, he wasn't... He didn't have a degree in logistics. But now he's expected, and the king has told him, go. Now he has to go do this. Well, he goes and does that. And so I'm going to read um, verses um, 11 through 20 in chapter 2. And we'll see how God's plan works its way out through, it, through the faithful man, Nehemiah. We're back in Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and, there, and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was no place for my mount to pass so I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall then I entered the valley gate again and returned 
The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. And so, you know, here we have Nehemiah, and God's provided him safe passage. And he gets to Jerusalem, but what, is, what does it say he does when he gets there? Does he immediately go out and start doing things? No. Three days. And, and when he does go do something, how did he go about it? Quietly, discreetly. He's trying to get the lay of the land. He wants to see what's happening. And in all of this, you know, th- these are not, you know, maybe if he had been a military commander, you would think maybe he would know to do these things. But I think what we see is someone that is willing to serve God in however God calls him. And he thinks through this. And I think he's being thoughtful and deliberate. And I think he's wanting God to show him what God wants and he's not, you know, it's not bad to seek godly counsel from fellow believers. But at, at this point, he's really trying to figure out what God wants him to do. So he goes out and he surveys what the damage is. And he's trying to get in his mind what's going on. And it talks about, um, you know, in verse 12, it says, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. So he's waiting to be led by God. He's being patient. And so he waits the three days, and then he goes out. And he goes out by himself so that he can see what it is, so that he can wait on God's timing for God to tell him, these are the things that you need to do. And so he goes out, and, it's, and he confirms. He, he sees it's in terrible shape. You know, it talks about you know, the, the city being in reproach. In those days, the city's security was the walls and the gate so that you could close up, you know, at night they would close them up or if someone was coming to attack you, you could close these big timber gates and it would keep everybody inside the city safe. If you wanted to get in there, it was a months-long siege if it was a, a city, you know, a walled city with a big wall. So that was their safety and security. So when all that's torn down, they don't have anything, you know, anybody can come and go as they please and they really lose that safety. And so Nehemiah wants to try to help get them that security back because this is Jerusalem. This is where the temple was. This is where God chose. It's, it's the land God chose for his people, the chosen land, and it's where God chose to have the temple built where his presence would exist on the earth, where his being would be there, and where the people, if they follow the Mosaic law, are supposed to do all of the offerings, you know, we're still Old Testament time, so Jesus hasn't come yet, so they still are required to follow the Mosaic law and all the, the sacrifices and the offerings, and you can't do that without the temple. 
and God and his plan and he's promised them it's coming together but it's taking a while and so when when Nehemiah sees all of this he gathers them all together and, and what does he tell them yes he says it's bad so he's truthful he tells them that this is bad but but what is the other thing that he tells the people to encourage them Yes, and, and he says, it's in verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. So I think here, Nehemiah relates to the people who he is and how he came to be there in Jerusalem and how it was his God, their God, that arranged that. And I think that's a good lesson for us to understand is as God works in our lives and God does miraculous things in our lives, he expects us to share that with people. That's how we encourage people is we talk to people about, you know, I had this happen in my life and I'm a believer and Jesus Christ is my savior and, and I know there's a God and this is what God did and recount those circumstances so that people see God working in our lives. Too many people don't want to believe in God in the Bible because they look at this as a historical document saying, oh, well, that was a long time ago and I don't believe in any of that. And God is the God of the living, right? He's not a dead God. He's not, you know, he's, he's alive and exists. And, and he loves us and he doesn't just sit back. You know, we're not, a, we're not an experiment or a you know, an ant farm in a terrarium. He didn't just put us together and stand back and not do anything. God is active and living and interacts with his people, his believers, all of the time. He always has and he always will. And so if we don't talk to people about how God acts in our lives and what God is doing for us, it's not real to people. It can be very real for us because we lived it. Think about how real it was for Nehemiah to be the cupbearer for the king, and he's trying his best to look normal, but the king knows because the king sees that he's not, something's bugging him, and then the king asks him, and now he has to, so all of this, God has done that in your life where God's worked and, and done him, you know, something for you that you wanted to share? Everybody gets really quiet. <laughs> I, so I, I would encourage you to think of those times because you will have the opportunity at some point, God's going to give you the chance to talk to somebody who isn't a believer or maybe they're struggling in their faith about how God has worked in your life. And I know as, you know, God worked in my life. I could see it even before, long before I was a believer God, through people, worked in my life to get me where I am today. And, and there are these long, you know, I can see these chains of events of people that God has put in my life who he knew I would listen to, even before I was a believer, that I would do certain things. I have, um, I grew up about half the time in Alamosa, and a good friend of mine, um, we were best in third grade, and I, I moved back and forth quite a bit, um, but Mike was one of my best friends. And then I moved back kind of middle school, junior high, first year of high school. And we knew each other and kind of ran around a little bit to live in Idaho with my dad. And uh, Mike was still in Alamosa. Um, and I ended up going to the Air Force Academy. I didn't keep in touch with Mike. Mike ended up, he wanted to go. He was in my class. 
And I didn't realize it until we got there that we were in the same class. And so we um, went to school together, graduated. I lost touch with Mike again. And then when I decided to get out of the Air Force, I decided it would be best for me to use what they call a, a, a like a, they call them headhunter, it's a, a recruiter that specifically work with junior military officers coming out of the military to find them jobs. So I looked at a couple different companies and I wrote them, this is way back before the internet, I wrote them letters and talked to them on the phone and I picked one um, and I worked with this specific, it was their senior recruiter and I worked with that guy. Well, I called one day to talk to, um, his name was Lee Cohen, I called to talk to Lee and somebody else answered the phone. Guess who answered the phone? Mike. And so it was funny because I wasn't, I wasn't even listening. So I called and picked the phone. And, you know, this is, you know, you know, Lucas Associates. This is Mike. And I said, hi, this is Andy Carter. I need to talk to Lee Carter. And I'm like, yeah, come here. And so how, how does that happen? And I wasn't saved at this point. I didn't get saved for another probably eight years. So how does that happen? That was God. Before I acknowledged God, I, I, I knew who God was. I didn't want to follow God. I wasn't going to be a believer. I didn't need God for a long time. And then he showed me that I did. You should, you should think about things in your life. Because that, to me, if nothing else, that proves to me that there's a God. How does that happen where my best friend from second and third grade, I end up going to college with him. And, and so with this recruiting thing, to, just to carry on a little bit farther here, is I still worked with Lee, but I knew Mike was there. They did these hiring conferences where you would go for three days and interview with all these different companies. Well, they set me up to interview with three different companies. The second day of the conference, Mike calls me and he says, Hey, Andy, there's a utility company that somebody you know, was going to interview and they're not. I think you should interview with them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And so Mike says, you know what? Just do it anyway. If nothing else, it's good interview practice. I was like, okay. So I interviewed with them. And the guy, I, so I, there were two people. One was a consultant, and the guy was a hiring guy from this utility. All he wanted to talk about was what was it like to fly in fighters. That was my interview. And so I got a follow-on interview. And um, the follow-on interviews, the guy who actually hired me was an MP in Vietnam. And all he wanted to talk about was being in the military. And I answered two of the three questions he asked wrong. But Doug hired. So you can just look at that, because I got the interviews because Mike talked me into it. And then because of my military experience, I, it was funny, the one interview with Steve Woodward and then the consultant was Mike Repnitz. Mike kept trying to direct Mike, or Steve, back to the interview questions. Steve had always wanted to fly, and he wanted nothing to talk about. But So that's, you know. It's funny, and, and as a, I would not, I, at the time I would have told you that I was lucky, but that's not luck. That's God's providence and God's hand on me all the, all the way through. You know, and it, and it happens. It's happened in my life all the way through. I know there are decisions, there are things that God had me do that I did not want to do, and I was furious and I was mad. And at the time I wasn't a believer, but God sent me on this path that has got today. And so I know everybody doesn't like to, you know, I get up and talk in front of people all the time. I don't mind doing it. But God's going to put you in a situation where somebody's not going to really believe that there's a God. And God has put you through situations that you didn't like, 
but you can use it for God's glory and to honor God and to bring people to Christ. And, and it's true. And, and I think if every one of you, if you take some time and look back, you can see God's hand in your life. You, you just need to acknowledge that. It's true. It's true. And as, as we're wrapping up here, we see once, once Nehemiah has encouraged them and wants them to start, the opposition shows up again. But how does Nehemiah address that? He does. And he says, the, and, and he has letters from the king that says they have authority. He's there on the king's orders. But who does Nehemiah rely on to tell these people, we're going to do this and it's going to happen? God. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. And, and he says, therefore, the servants, and um, like Craig pointed out, he says, we're going to do this, and you don't have anything to do with it. And so here again, I think it's just Nehemiah showing that we, we have to have that faith in God and, and, and put that in there. And, you know, part of it, I think, is, as Nehemiah is encouraging them, he's talking to them about all the difficulties they're going to have to go through, but he's encouraging them. And um, I was going to end with just asking, you know, when, when you're discouraged or you need some encouragement, what, what verses, you know, because Nehemiah is relying on God and God's word to him. What in God's word do you go to and read when you're discouraged? What, what parts of the Bible? Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Psalm 73.25 and 26. Isaiah 40.31. I, I like to read the first chapter of Ephesians. It tells us all the things that God has done for us and promised us in one nice chapter. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I like John 10 is, is the good shepherd, when Jesus relates about the good shepherd. Um, I also like Revelation 21 and 22, because that's the far down the road those are the very good things that God has promised us and there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then but that in the end that is what it is and I think you know every time I read through those verses about what you know the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and what that's going to be like and it tells us that we will walk in the presence of God and we will we will know him and understand him and we will be with him so hopefully you all have those verses that you really like to and go to. And that's another good thing that you can share with somebody. If you're talking with somebody who is just struggling and having a very difficult time, you know, read those with them. Encourage them to read those. Encourage them to find them themselves because God has words in his, in his Bible that speak to all of us in a very special way. And we should use those and remember that and remember to, to rely on God. So that I think it's a good lesson from Nehemiah. He was an interesting person who was bold enough and faithful enough when God put him in the situation that God needed him to do what he needed to do. He acted. He acted boldly and he trusted in God and God used him in a mighty way. So we'll go ahead and close in prayer.